Let's go together to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, and it's good to be back with you. I was out last week. If you were here last week, you know that. I preached a funeral here on Saturday, and as the day went along, my voice just started leaving and leaving and got to the point Saturday afternoon where I thought, I need to have somebody as a backup in case I can't preach. And so I, I got a hold of Stephen Crittenden, and I texted him, hey, could you, could you be on standby for me? Because I was thinking in my mind, I don't think I can preach three sermons with my throat like it was. But within an hour, I realized I can't do one. <laughs> I'm not able to do even one sermon. And so I went from having him on backup to taking over. And if you were here last week, what a blessing that message was. So Joy and I watched it from home at 11, really touched by that message on our identity in Christ. If you missed that, I wanna encourage you this week, go online, watch Stephen Crittenden's message from last week. I, I am convinced that was the message God wanted us to hear last week. And now we come back into our study through the parables of Jesus and Luke's gospel back into chapter 15. And if you remember the last time we were together looking at that, Jesus is dealing with criticism from the religious leaders. They can't figure out why Jesus is spending time with sinners. This is back in chapter 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. And what comes next actually are three parables. We considered the first two, the last time we were together, we saw the first parable of the lost and found sheep. Jesus says, it's only reasonable that I'd be with these lost people because what shepherd, if he had a hundred sheep, if one of those gets away and is lost, who doesn't leave the 99 in the safety of the open pasture and go after that one that's lost? And when he finds the lost sheep, he comes back celebrating. Then Jesus on the tail of that parable goes right into the next one about a woman who had 10 valuable silver coins. So what woman, if she lost one of those valuable coins, would not move all the furniture, move the rugs, sweep the house until she found that coin. And when she finds that valuable coin, she is going to celebrate and invite other people to celebrate with her. And now this parable. The parable of the lost son. So lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. The one we know most famously as the parable of the prodigal son making the same point as the other. And here's the point. God loves saving lost people. Amen. That's what he's about. Jesus said elsewhere, he came to seek and to save the lost. And so he's teaching that same thing here. This perhaps is the most famous of the parables of Jesus. It is certainly a grand teaching of our Lord. And aren't you glad with me that this is included in the Bible for us, that we would know that God is like this. So as Jesus tells this parable, first of all, we are introduced to a reckless son, a reckless son. Verse 11 now. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So here's a father, Jesus says, two sons, an older and a younger. And the younger comes up with this idea. I want my inheritance now. Now the old covenant law prescribed what to do when you have 
two sons. How do you distribute the inheritance? And so the older son in those days would get two thirds of the property and the younger son would get one third. No problem there. That's how it was done. The problem is with the timing of the request. Normally, then as now, you normally don't get your inheritance until the person passes away. But this is part of the brazenness of this. Here's a younger son essentially saying to the father, you're in the way. You're still being alive is in the way. I just want your stuff so I can go live the life I've always wanted to live. So it's the picture of selfishness, ingratitude, and foolishness. It's actually the picture of every human heart. Whenever a human being has said to God, I don't want you, but I'd really like to have some of your blessings as I go live my own agenda somewhere else. This is a rebellious, self-absorbed heart. And yet, as Jesus tells this parable, the father grants the request. And off this one goes, this lost son, he goes into what we're told is a far country. In other words, he's getting as far away from home as he can go. And there, and isn't it such a sad word, there he squandered his inheritance with immorality, with debauchery, in what's called here reckless living. The New American Standard Bible translates that loose living. The whole idea is it's wild living. So when he lost everything his father gave him, it wasn't because he made some bad investments. Like he meant well, just didn't pan out like I thought it. That's not what happened. It wasn't because of a bad economy. You know, things were going great until that inflation started spiking and I just lost it. It wasn't a business failure. It wasn't a tough break or even a job loss. Jesus paints the picture here of someone who is irresponsible, someone who's immoral, into inexcusable partying. It's painful to read, isn't it? When you just imagine this, a, a father who would have worked hard and provided for his family so well, for a son to take his portion and go blow it so quickly in all the wrong ways, it's so sad even to read. Isn't it amazing how quickly money goes even when you're trying to handle it with wisdom? I mean, even if you have a good plan and you're on a budget, you find, oh my goodness, there are things that are just draining resources in all these ways. But then if you add into that just extravagant spending and you're not trying to follow a plan, of course it's going to go so fast. Uh, I always find it interesting during the times of the pro draft. So these college athletes who are elite athletes, they have an opportunity to go pro. And, and I realize the, the paychecks these people get, it's crazy, but I can't help myself. I'm happy for them, some of them. When you have a young man who maybe lived in poverty his whole life, but he worked really hard at his sport with the opportunity to improve himself and maybe his whole family. And so the numbers are crazy, but when one of these guys gets like a $10 million contract, I'm genuinely happy for him. And then I'm equally saddened when some of those who receive that $10 million, then they blow it like we read here so quickly and they're right back into poverty. I grieve that when it happens. Or maybe with me, sometimes you see somebody win the lottery and I don't believe in playing the lottery. I think it's irresponsible to do that. So I'm not endorsing that, but I, but I can't find myself. I can't, I can't help myself, even though I'm against the lottery. When I hear about a waitress who maybe wins $10 million, I can't help myself. I'm, I'm happy for her. Good for her. I'm glad, glad, glad that worked out for her, though I'd never play that game. But we hear so often of these lottery winners who also don't know how to handle it. They, everybody wants some of it, but then they blow it and they're right back where they started from. It's just very sad to me. So we come to this reckless son as Jesus describes and how quickly it all came to an end. His plans for fun and freedom now evaporate into absolute poverty. I, I 
read this, and I think about how contemporary this is, though. Jesus speaks this 2,000 years ago, but we see even now you can have somebody who's young and they think they know more than they know and they want to launch out and do things their way and they can come to the same type of heartbreak here. Well, this could be you today, by the way. You could be this one who's on the run from God. You say, well, I'm not a young person. Well, it might have started when you were young. You might have become a prodigal yourself when you were a teenager and now it's decades later and you still have no heart for God and even though you're in the right place this morning or you're watching from home here, you could be doing that and still have a heart that's on the run from God. But here's good news. You can do like this one. You can come home. And I believe that's why you are hearing this teaching today, because God loves you. It's not by accident that you could come home and return to the Lord. In fact, Jesus is going to show you how to come home to him here next. So now we've seen this reckless son go off, but I want you to see the turning point in his life. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need and he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So here is this son. He's now broke. He lost everything. And then the famine came. And he can't find work. And the only job he can find is feeding pigs. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. They won't even eat a pig. And the thought of being around this unclean animal to have as your job that you're now feeding the pig. Everybody there is hearing this is as low as you can go. But there was one more level of low. And that's when he was envious of what the pigs were eating. Jesus paints the picture this is bad. What a fall to go from the comforts of home where he had everything he ever needed to the temporary thrill of the party scene to then being absolutely broke and hungry and alone. He's feeling the full consequences of his choices. His shame is obvious. He's beginning to see the colossal error he has made. And then it happened. Verse 17. He came to his senses. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. He realized how good he once had it. Even the people who worked for his dad had food to eat. And so he plans a humble return. He plans to say this to his father. I am no longer worthy to be your son. If you could just hire me. I'd be better off as one of your hirelings than what I'm experiencing here. Notice the dramatic change in this young man's attitude. He's gone from the idea of give me to his father to say, would you hire me? He goes from the idea of I'm entitled to I'm unworthy. And this is how he chooses to come home to the Lord. By the way, some of you, this is what you're praying for someone in your life. There's someone in your life, maybe you would put in that prodigal category. They, 
They have bolted away from the things of God, maybe the way you raised them. And they want nothing to do with that. And you're praying for this moment, oh God, would you cause them to come to their senses? Would you help them to see how off they are, how, how much damage they're doing to themselves? And in fact, we'll pray along with you for that prodigal to come home. And so this prodigal turns toward home now, coming to his senses. Now, how would you receive a son who did this to you? What if you'd been one who gave the inheritance early and they blew it in all the wrong ways? And then you saw them coming. What would you do? You might be tempted in that moment to see them coming back to give them a lecture. You might want to paint a look of disgrace and disgust on your face. You might want to fold your arms and you'd be ready. I'm going to tell them I told you so. And you'd be somewhat justified if you felt that way. But look at how Jesus describes the father. Look with me now at a running father. Verse 20, how beautiful. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father who had been wrong does not stand there smug and cold, waiting for him to grovel. No, we're told he ran. Now, I want us to see this in slow motion a second. If I had a telestrator like those sportscasters have, we would be drawing some things here. So we've got the father here, and if I had a telestrator, I would circle his heart, say there's something going on in here. He sees his son coming. Look what's happening right here in the heart. There's compassion right there in the heart. And then if I had a telestrator, I would draw a line from that father to the son, denoting, look, he's moving in this direction, and he's moving fast. He's running to his son. Notice with me, he embraced his son. He kisses his son. Verse 21, the prodigal begins the speech he had prepared. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let's pause there. That is the appropriate way to repent when you've strayed from God. Even if you haven't strayed as far away as the prodigal did, you just find there's distance between God and me. I've gotten myself involved in these things. This is how you talk to God when you're coming back to him. Lord, I, I made a big mistake. Now, I don't call other people fool because Jesus said, don't do that. I don't call people idiot because that's a synonym of fool. Same thing. That's not a technicality. I don't do that. But I will call myself that in prayer. I find myself in sin. Those are the words I'll use. I am an idiot. God, I'm, I'm a fool. I can't believe I said that or thought that. Or, Would you forgive me? That's how I talk. This is what this young man's doing. I am unworthy. That's how you come. You, you don't come back to God when you realize you're in sin. Like, hey, I'm just home. I'm home. Bet you miss me. Aren't you lucky to have me? I'm doing you a favor by coming back here. It's not, that's not the mindset. I am unworthy. I'm unworthy. Oh, but don't you love the father? He hears some of that, knows it's sincere. He, he's running. He's hugging. He's celebrating here. Bring a robe, bring a ring, bring shoes, fire up the grill. Let's eat that fattened calf. It's time to celebrate. Just the same response we saw with the lost sheep. When that one is found, celebration. When the lost coin is found, celebration. Lost son. Oh, what a celebration. Remember what we saw back in verse 7. After the lost and found sheep. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. After the lost and found coin, verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
What does this tell us about our God? Jesus describes our God, God the Father, in his joy in restoring sinners to himself. It's true that God is awesome in his power. He's awesome in his holiness, and we should have a right fear of God. It's true that God has wrath towards sin, and at the judgment, he will pour out his wrath. That is true. But toward the humble one who recognizes their sin and runs to him for forgiveness, we have here a father who runs to us, who's ready to embrace us, ready to forgive us, ready to adopt us into his family when we come to him like this. So in this story, do you see yourself Do you see yourself first in those early parables that you are a lost coin? You are a lost sheep that God was delighted to save. You are a lost son that he's ready to embrace if you'll come humbly back to him. No matter how far you've gone from him, no matter how long you've been gone away from him, if you will turn toward him with that same sorrow, with that same humility, that same plea, he will indeed forgive you. And so let me Let me plead with you, would you come home to Jesus? Would you see who you are? Would you see your need? Would you come to him? So we say, I love this parable. It is, it's it's famous for a reason, how beautiful. And we might be tempted to think we're done here. That's, That's the parable. But there's more here. Jesus tells us of one more character here that he wants us to see. Another lesson for us, and it is the merciless older brother. Look with me now, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called out to the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We hear these words and this attitude of the older brother and we ask, why was he so jealous? What had the father done wrong to him? His perspective was way off. This older son had lost nothing. He had enjoyed the blessings of the father's house all along. But here Jesus gives us this one, this older son showing us what it looks like for a merciless person a self-centered person, an unloving person. This older brother, he complains and he refuses to join his father's celebration. Jesus gives us this older brother here to really describe the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember our context. Jesus, why do you hang out with tax collectors and sinners? That must mean you're into sin. That means you're soft on sin. That's what they were assuming, but that's not the case. Jesus describes them As this older brother, listen, be sure there's nothing of the older brother's attitude in any of us. We might initially sympathize when we read the story, maybe for the first time. Well, he he did. He was the good son. But Jesus is calling out all that heart. Nothing like the father's heart. We don't want to have anything like that in us. So, So in our church family, 
We want to make sure we have a heart like our father. Of course, we're not going to be soft on sin, right? I hope you're hard on sin, especially your own sin there. And the Bible is not soft on sin. But we need to be quick to forgive the humble and the repentant. We need to be quick to receive people like our father. We need to be quick to celebrate those who humbly collapse at the father's feet. We need to join Jesus in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. You and I as a church, who do we want to reach? We want to be about reaching broken people, people who know they're broken. We want to be about helping people who've made bad mistakes and now they're enslaved to all kinds of things in their addictions. We want to go to them to, to be a part of bringing them back to the Father. So as a church member, please never be like the older brother. Is, is that you? Do you find yourself, your default emotion toward unbelievers, is it anger? It shouldn't be our default. Now, I understand there are evils in the world and there is a righteous indignation that we should have. If it grieves the heart of God, it should grieve us, right? But when we think about individual people far from God, we need to have this heart where compassion enters in. Here's a person lost like I used to be lost. Here's a person blind like I used to be blind. Here's a person dead in their sins just like I used to be dead in my sins. And so I can't have my dominant emotion when I look at unbelievers around me and in my life that I'm mad at them. I don't want good things to come to them. That's, that's thinking like the older brother. So let's be specific here. You remember it was a few years ago now, we built this building across the way here. We have what we call MP1 there, the big fellowship space. Below that, our big student space. We added parking across the property. And remember in that whole season, we said we're making space for others. We didn't do this for ourselves, though we enjoyed ourselves. This wasn't for us because we could have continued to cram ourselves into here and some of our other spaces, but we needed to make more room for others. But for a moment with me, will you consider what others are we hoping to reach and to fill these seats? So we look around, there's still room for others. Who do we want to occupy these seats? It's not that we look across Richmond and you know what we want from all the other churches? Send us your older brothers. Send us your cantankerous unmerciful, unloving people. If they're causing you trouble at your church, bring them here. We just want to be around those people. That's not what we want. Of course, we're welcome people who come. They, they need a theological refuge, a, a place that teaches the Bible where there's not the drama of dysfunction. We understand that's, that's great. But what we're aiming for together, those who join with us and we ourselves who've been here for a long time, we're aiming for the prodigals. These seats around you and the spaces across the way, over the years, the parking spots that we want filled, and we think about Easter, who would we love to be here? It's those who are presently far from God. We pray that are coming to their senses, recognizing the love of God is available and forgiveness is available, restoration's available. Oh, that's who we want to go out together. We don't want to have anything to do with the heart of the older brother. The older brother missed out on so much. He didn't share the heart of God. I love verse 32 here. The father says, we had to celebrate. He rebukes the son. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for this. This your brother was dead and he's alive and he's lost and he's now found. We had to celebrate and rejoice. So together with me, would you now apply this? First of all, I think first application for us as we close is this. We should praise the God of such grace. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus told us this is what your father's like. He would run to the humble sinner who wants to repent. That's our God. Didn't you need God to be that way to you? We were singing these songs of our testimonies earlier, and I think I can put myself back in my hometown as the Lord was opening my eyes to my sinfulness and, 
drawing me to himself. Whenever we sing songs like that, I just think, I go right back to where I'm from and those days when Jesus was opening my eyes. I'm so glad for a father who was merciful to me, a very bad sinner. I'll praise the God of such grace. Jesus wants you to know there's a God who would forgive you if you come to him. Then this application, yes, praise him, but if you find yourself today far from God, a prodigal, then run to him. Come on home to the Lord. Come to your senses. You must come humbly. You come repentantly. Come quickly. Don't wait and see how bad you can go or how far you can go. Don't wait till you hit bottom. Go ahead and turn right now, however far you've gone from the Lord. Come home now. Come completely. Come to him. And then this, let's take on this older brother again. Do you see any of that older brother in you? Maybe it shows up in you as, a, as an apathy toward unbelievers. You may have anger or you may just have apathy. I just don't care about those people who are lost. Repent of that. Repent of the pride that that expresses. Repent of the self-righteousness that that is. Repent of a cold heart because your father has a warm heart toward these very people. And then join him in reaching out to those who have been blinded by unbelief. Run to reconcile unbelievers to God. Let's take up our role of being ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray together.